This is Moral of the Story, interesting people telling short stories and then breaking them down to see what works and what doesn't. I'm your host, Max Chapovsky. On today's episode, we have Thad Wong. Thad is the co-founder of Ad Properties, the largest real estate brokerage firm in Illinois. Uh, he and his partner, Michael Golden, started Ad Properties in 2000 and grew to over $9 billion in annual sales. Uh, he's won a ton of awards, including Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year in the Midwest, He's been on Crane's 40 Under 40, Fast 50, Chicago Area Entrepreneurship Hall of Fame, and many, many more. He lives in Lincoln Park with his wife and four kids. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. How old are your kids? Uh, they're constantly growing, but right now they are 17, almost 16, 14, and 12. That's a full house. It is a full house. There were three under three um, for about three or four months, and then we waited a couple of years for the fourth. That's crazy. It is crazy. I can only imagine. <laughs> it's been a good ride. It's actually going, it's going pretty well for an only child uh, where it's all new to me. Um, it's surprisingly seamless, but I think that has a lot more to do with my wife than me. So you are here to tell us a story. So set the stage. What should the audience know about this story? So this is an interesting story. First off, you know, most stories... A lot of them you can't really tell. They are personal and you're with maybe one very close friend and you're sharing something. This story is a story that is a classic story, I think, of the goodness in humanity. Um, and it's an interesting story because it was the summer after my freshman year of college. I was talking to my dad and my dad said, you know, you can't stay in Minnesota for the summer. You have to do something. You have to go somewhere. And meanwhile, this is a guy who has taken me around the world. You know, I've been to Nigeria with him. I've been all over Europe with him. He taught me how to travel. And so I said, okay, where should I go? He said, well, I'll give you a couple ideas. How about you go to the Adirondack Mountains, upstate New York, or why don't you go to Nantucket? So I did a little bit of research, which wasn't easy back then in 1988. You know, I had to actually go to the library and pull out some books. And I decided on Nantucket. I thought, okay, an island, this is cool. I had no idea what I was going to do, but I happened to know this girl in a sorority who spent the summers there. And my girlfriend at the time started talking with this other girl, and she said, oh, don't worry. I'll pick you up at the ferry. I'll help you out, get your, get your feet under you, and get you all set up. And we said, great. So I grabbed my girlfriend at the time, and we uh, flew out to Boston, took a Greyhound to Hyannisport, got on a ferry over to Nantucket, and we landed. And this other girl didn't show up. It was just the two of us in this, uh, you know, in Nantucket. And remember, there's no cell phone in 1988. So when somebody doesn't show up, it's a big deal. And so we'd go to pay phones and we were trying to find her and we had no place to stay. We had no idea. We've never been there. So we spent about the first two weeks, believe it or not, just kind of going from house to house at people we would meet at parties. So we would go at parties at night and we had our bags and we'd hang out and we'd just ask if we could keep our bags here. Inevitably, we'd crash at people's houses. And after a couple of weeks, I found this room in a place called the Gray Lady on Center Street, just in downtown, right in downtown Main Street, Nantucket. And it didn't have uh, a kitchen. It was just effectively in an inn. It was a bedroom with a, a bed and, you know, a bathroom, access to a bathroom. That was it. Uh, what I found out throughout the summer, though, is very rarely were they sold out and I could access the room next door, which had a kitchen and a deck. And so we sort of invaded the other space where we'd have to get out if we heard any any noise coming. And so we had this awesome summer 
you know, I got a lot of different jobs. I painted houses. I started my own painting company, got a big job. And I set this rule at the beginning of the summer for me and my girlfriend. I had this like big ceramic jar for cookies. And I said, anytime we come into the apartment or the room, really. And meanwhile, we didn't have a phone in the room. Our phone was the pay phone in the hall. So that was the phone number we would give to people to contact us. So if the phone rang, we'd go literally in the hall to answer a pay phone. And I, but I said, when we come into our room every time, even if we run in for just 10 minutes to grab something, you have to take all the change out of your pocket and you have to put it in this jar. So you cannot enter or leave this apartment with change. Change goes in the jar. And this is the beginning of June. So the whole summer, we had different jobs. I you know, waited tables in an Italian restaurant. Um, you know, she got a job at an art gallery. And this jar, this, this, this cookie jar started getting filled with change. So it became August 1. We had like three weeks left till we had to go back. And I said, okay, for the next two weeks, all of our singles we're going to put in this jar. So when you come in, any single you have and your change goes in the jar. I mean, I'm serious. The jar was hundreds of dollars, okay? And in the last week, we said, okay, all of our fives, fives and ones and change in our pocket, when we come into the room, we put in the jar. We're like, great. I mean, this jar was almost overflowing with cash. I had never saved more in my life. We had a ton of dough in there. 1988, hundreds of dollars. I mean, you're a millionaire. So it was the second to my last day before leaving the island. And I walked into our room, and it's Nantucket, you know, we don't really lock the doors, there aren't any keys. And I went in my pocket to grab my money to put in the jar. It was like religion, you just did it, you know? And I put my hand in my pocket and I pulled out and the jar was gone. No way. Swear to God, swear to God. And I'm like, how could this be? Nobody knew about this jar, you know? I was distraught. I talked to my girlfriend later that night. She didn't know what had happened and we were heartbroken. We were gonna use this money to go to New York. We were going to go spend time in Manhattan. We were going to go to a play. We were going to see a concert. We had this whole thing that we were going to do on the way home. And so it was my, it was my last night on Nantucket Island, and I was waiting tables at Chin's Chinese Restaurant, okay? It was, it was that time when that song was on the radio, Don't Worry, Be Happy, and in the kitchen, all the guys cooking were singing that song, and I was just so bummed because we were leaving the island, and I thought I was a you know, multi-hundredaire, and uh, I had nothing. And so I was waiting, and I was at this table, and it was an older gentleman, and uh, he looked up, and he says, You know, you look really down. And I've always been a pretty open book. You know, I wear my feelings on my sleeve. People know how I'm feeling. You don't ever have to. It's not hard to read me. And I was like, yeah, it's, it's, been, a, it's been a rough one. He goes, well, tell me what happened. I said, well, I was staying. My girlfriend and I were saving all summer, and we were putting this money in this jar, and it literally had hundreds of dollars. And she and I were going to go to Manhattan, and we were going to go see the theater, and we were going to go to a concert, and we were going to end the summer on a high note. And this jar, which was effectively our summer, not our summer savings entirely, but a huge amount that we were willing to spend of our savings to just have a good time, was stolen. And he looked at me and he just stared in my eyes for a second and made this connection. And he said, don't worry, you can stay at my place. And I said, really? He goes, yeah, don't worry, I have a place in Manhattan, feel free to stay there. And then the bell rang in the kitchen and I had to go back and to get another order to deliver to a table. And so I started delivering and I came back to him to present him with the check. And he said, you don't know who I am, do you? And I said, no, no, I don't. And he said, well, I probably sung Puff the Magic Dragon to you when you were a little boy. And I said, really? He goes, my name is Peter Yarrow from Peter, Paul, and Mary. 
And my dad was a big aging hippie, so I had listened to Peter, Paul, and Mary growing up. You know, Peter, Paul, and Mary, Cat Stevens, James Taylor, Carol King, you know, all of them were like my, the music that I listened to growing up because of my parents. And he smiled at me, and he just gave me a phone number and an address. And he said, when are you showing up? And I said, you know, tomorrow we fly out, and then, we're, you know, we can be in Manhattan later because we have to, you know, take a bus, et cetera. And he said, just go to this address. Everything will be taken care of. So I was like, you know, I just wrote it. I was like, this is fantastic. You know, this is amazing. And, you know, I got to Manhattan with my girlfriend. We went to the apartment. A housekeeper opened the door, invited us in, made us sandwiches in the kitchen. It was like very, the the temperament was very similar to the house that I grew up in, which was very academic, very hippie, you know, very open-minded. The apartment was amazing. You could see Yoko Ono and John Lennon's apartment from the window. They gave me us, us this giant bedroom that overlooked the living room. It was spectacular. The next day we met Peter's son, Chris. We were walking the streets of Manhattan and Chris ran into his uh, godfather. And his godfather said, would you guys like to come have lunch? And he said, Sure. And I was a kind of gregarious kid, and I was in shorts and a T-shirt. And he said, okay, let's go here. And so I walked in first, and I went to the maitre d', and I said, okay, table for four. And the maitre d' said, oh, I'm sorry, we're completely booked. And then this guy I just met on the sidewalk walks in and says, oh, don't worry, he's with me. And he says, oh, Mr. DuPont, Mr. DuPont, we have a table for you. And it was John DuPont was his godfather. So now I've met this, you know, another icon, and we sit and have lunch at the Russian Tea Room in the corner, in this corner booth, like booth number one. I mean, it couldn't be more fantastic. And then the big musical at the time was Serafina. And, of course, Peter said, oh, I have tickets for you at the box office. Pick them up. Well, they're aisle, you know, like row four, the absolute best seats you can get for the play. So everything on this trip went fantastically well. I made a new friend, you know, Chris Yarrow. Uh, Peter was very similar to my dad. My dad would have done something like that. He would have just opened his door up to somebody in the same situation. And, you know, I just think about that story and I think about that element of humanity. And I am, I very much still think that exists, even with the skepticism and pessimism and fear that's out there that's rampant with humanity and people. And I still think there are a lot of good people out there that are trusting enough just to open their door to a stranger. And I think by doing that, you know, I live by the model that, and oftentimes my best stories were unplanned, right? Like your best experiences are things that you didn't plan. You know, you might plan to go to Hawaii. You might plan to go to the Super Bowl and it could be amazing. But your best stories, your things that really are memorable are things that were unexpected and unplanned. You could have a great trip, but it was planned. And so therefore it just fulfilled, you kind of colored in the dots. The greatest things are just things that are unexpected. And this was one of those things where, You know, it was the worst of the worst, and it ended up being the best of the best. New friends, new experience, a whole new, you know, level of living I had never seen before. I grew up in a thousand square foot house at best with one bathroom. And all of a sudden, I'm in this amazing penthouse in New York. It was either the Upper East Side or the Upper West Side. I can't remember, but it was fabulous. And I was just kind of running with this group that, even though they were very, you know, affluent, it was still that, you know, liberal hippie vibe that I was familiar with. And uh, it was just that sort of continuation of my childhood, but with a whole different family that had a lot more resources, and they were more than willing to share them with a stranger. 
Did you keep in touch with him for a while? Yeah. I sent him some wild rice when I got back to Minnesota because I thought that was an appropriate gift. And um, my old girlfriend saw him at a concert and they talked after the show, after Peter, Paul, and Mary's show. And uh, But I have a feeling that he did that for a lot of people. I don't think we were unique. I mean, maybe we were unique in the sense that we stayed at his house, but just that he was just that type of guy that if he could be helpful to anyone, no matter who, he would do that. So as far as like a life life lesson or something you want to emulate, you know, I look at guys like that, that are just, you know, yeah, he made it and he was very successful. He was a, you know, rock star, I suppose, of some kind, but you know, he never left humanity. He never left the ground. He never felt different or better than. If anything, he just wanted to be helpful. And he also, he listened to a story. And by listening to that story, which is my reality, you know, he solved the problem for me. And because he had the ability to do that. And we don't always have the ability to solve other people's problems, but he could do that. And he, more importantly, chose to do that. It was also a function, though, of you wearing your emotions on your sleeve enough to be vulnerable with him, which I think a lot of people probably wouldn't have done. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I grew up, I'm a product of two shrinks. So, you know, we've been talking about, I mean, the big question in our family was always, how are you? And it was never fine. You couldn't answer with fine. It was like, how are you doing? Who are you? You know, what are your experiences? You know, uh, my dad was a big part of my life and, you know, my mom too. And they, they always asked me how I was doing and they always wanted to know and they really wanted to know the details. They weren't just interested in a cursory response or an expected response. So what then do you think is the moral of that story? You know, I think that do unto others as you would like others to do unto you is the classic, right? Uh, here's somebody who did something for me that was uh, created a memory for the rest of my life that it would be a great story that I could tell to anyone. And uh, it was very easy for that person to do that, but it was very impactful on my life. And if you just think how many things you can do during the day that are not that difficult or not that challenging on yourself that can really affect somebody else's life, you know, that in tune, I think Peter probably had the greatest end result because he had a life filled with helping others. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I don't know anything more important than that. That's fair. And it's true. Uh, why, why did you choose that story? Why is that one of your favorites? In, in some ways, I think because it reminds me of my dad. And, uh, you know, I love my dad. I lost my dad a couple of years ago. And it was you know, probably the most impactful thing that has happened in my life, that loss. And uh, that behavior of this guy reminded me a lot of something my dad would do. Uh, but he might not be in the same position to be the, as generous and so, you know, you know, Peter reminded me of my dad. Now, in hindsight, when I was just in it, I was just in awe of somebody that I did listen to as a kid, that we all knew the words of the song. And this was the guy who sung it to us. And my parents had his albums. And uh, here this guy is inviting me to his house in Manhattan, giving me seats to the fabulous musical. His son introduced me to, you know, another famous person who's taking me to lunch at the Russian Tea Room, all from a 19-year-old kid in Minneapolis who had just barely had enough money to pay for the bus uh, to get there. Did you ever find out who took the jar? No, no, because everybody in Nantucket, first of all, for all the kids that are in Nantucket, most of them are very affluent. Most of them don't need the money, right? They're from the East Coast, they're at Ivy League schools, they're spending their summer in Nantucket. So I have no idea. I have a suspicion, um, but you know, you never want to accuse somebody of something. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think makes that story so powerful? Like, what do you think makes it work? I think that 
when you hear about it, everybody wants to be Peter, right? I mean, every, who wouldn't want to be that open with another human being? Who wouldn't want to open their home to somebody they didn't know just to live in that, with that abundance of trust in humanity? You know, in order to do what he did, you know, he needed to just trust somebody. They had no idea who they were. And that's a trust in human beings doing the right thing for other human beings. And especially right now when you feel like that's getting lost. We live in, we've lived in a period of time where it's what's in it for me. Um, and I think Peter didn't think, he thought what's in it for me is what's in it for you. And, you know, when it comes to winning, my, I learned a lot about winning with my dad, you know, it's only a win if everyone wins. You know, it's not a win if someone loses. And it's hard to conceptualize that even when biz, in business, when you're pitching a developer for business, there's other people pitching and they don't get it. So I understand that side of it. But when you look at it more globally, uh, and you think of things from a macro perspective. It's only a win if everyone wins. And I like that. I like thinking about that because if I think like that, I really I know, I know I'm on the right side. Uh, I feel like where I've heard that come up is uh, when people talk about negotiation, right? You have to understand what the other person wants. And if you don't look at it as, zero sum, as a zero-sum game, then you know it, it's more productive. What do you think generally, as you think about storytelling, what do you think makes for a good story? I think when a person can relate to it. I mean, the intensity of a story is, is it draws you in, right? And why are you drawn in? I mean, narcissistically, people want it to be something that they can somehow personally relate to, right? As long as it's not like you know, a suspense or a thriller where you're just caught up into, into somebody else's story, but you're hearing you know, a real version of a tale of somebody that you're communicating with, it's cool. It's cool. Then you always think, how would I fit into that? Or what would I have done? Or, you know, how would I have made that result different? Uh, but I think that side of it, that's what's most impactful. What about storytelling in general? How do you use storytelling in your life? You know, I would say most, more predominantly with my kids, I do it because I know that when you tell something to someone, they hear it. Uh, but a lot of times, and you want to repeat it three, four times. You think when you repeat it three, four times, you can, you're going to remember it. You don't. I mean, one of the best mnemonic devices is a story, right? That's how the brain works. So if you're looking at a moral, if I'm trying to teach my kids on what to do, if I'm trying to help them become more aware of homelessness or income inequality or uh, you know, sometimes the need to take advantage of an opportunity not for yourself but for someone else because you're in a position to capitalize on that. Uh, even if you don't want to do it, the importance of that. I sometimes I tell stories to my kids about it, and I personalize it. Uh, we have I have this I made up this character named Renee, and so believe it or not, when my kids were growing up, I still have one in our room every night. But there was a solid six years where I had four children in our room. I mean, we have a lot of rooms in our house, and in all honesty, all of our kids have their own bedroom. But for seven years, I had three mattresses on the floor and one in our bed. And when we woke up in the morning, we all used the same bathroom. I mean, it was almost like we really needed a one bedroom. And I would talk to my dad about it. And I was like, do you think this is weird, dad? All these kids are in our room all night long. And he'd say, no, the Eskimos all lived in an igloo. The Indians, American Indians all lived in a teepee. You know, maybe they knew something that, that we don't. And what kid wants to be alone in their room every night with the door shut? And so every night I would tell these stories about this character named Renee. And, uh, you know, Renee was kind of like a hybrid between my reality and, you know, other things that are interesting. And the stories always had a moral undertone, but they didn't know it. 
So they were into this story of this kid who lived with his mom, single-parent mom, whose dad died in the Korean War and lived on the fourth floor of a walk-up in Brooklyn and had a homeless friend named Homeless Mike and played basketball. And Homeless Mike would cheer for him, and when he cheered and he raised his arms over his hand, pigeons would fly out of his armpits. Like, just great stories that make you remember when you're a kid. But all of them had an underlying meaning. And they didn't really know that they were learning right from wrong or good from bad. You know, while they were, they were just into the story and they were so into hearing it and getting excited about hearing how the conclusion, how it would end. But if you really paid attention to it, effectively, I was just teaching them life lessons, you know, how to be a good person, how to be helpful, how to be courteous, you know, uh, how to be honest, how to be thoughtful, how to be self-reflective, how to apologize, um, how to create, you know, teams and, you know, doing that in stories. So I think they got a good understanding of how to be a good person in this world and, you know, live for others as well as yourself, you know, while being entertained. Have you ever read uh, Shoe Dog by Phil Knight? Mm. Ah, somebody bought me that book, but I haven't read it yet. You should read it. He actually does something very similar with his kid. He, he reads them stories that are kind of historical in nature, but they all have sort of lessons built into them. That's it's, cool. It's an awesome book. Uh, what's, your, what's your medium of choice? I do like to read. Um, I like to listen. Sometimes when I do the audio, though, my mind wanders and I really can't get into it. I almost need to see the print in order to stay focused. Um, but I love watching. My wife and I will go to a ton of movies, so I love watching, too. All, all of them are great. It kind of depends on my mood. It's easy to watch because it doesn't take much effort. You're just taking it in. You know, reading, I, for me, reading, I got a solid 20 minutes in me. After that, I got to do something different. I can't retain anymore. I start thinking about other things. I know that feeling. It's hard sometimes to stay focused. What advice would you give to people that want to become better storytellers? I think right now that's easy with TED Talk. You know, you can go and find subjects that you really want to learn about and hear people talk about those subjects. And if you look at the number of viewers or how they're rated, that's usually a good storyteller. And so you can learn how to, I think you can learn how to do anything. We all have to learn how to do things. It's not, not everything is 100% natural. And so I think watching the TED Talks or listening to other people tell stories is great. I just got this uh, new uh, Amazon um, uh, book uh, application that reads books to me. And uh, what I found, what is really interesting about that is I got this book and the tone that this has is a very kind of schmaltzy salesman tone. And it's great because it's telling me this story and, uh, and having this inflection that makes it interesting. So you could probably learn it from Siri too. <laughs> If you, but if you could talk to the Thad from you know twenty years ago, uh, the the stories that you've told and and what you've learned has resonated with people most. Like, what is the one thing you would tell him about storytelling? You know, here's the thing about storytelling and me, which kind of goes against it a bit, is I don't believe in telling a story unless it's worth telling until it's really has valid, I don't have to exaggerate it. If I have to exaggerate, it's probably not a story worth telling, um, which eliminates a lot of stories because in a, you know, my wife, on the other hand, has fabulous stories. But, you know, if you were to check, if you were to fact check them, they might, <laughs> every box might, might not be checked. But that, I love that about her. She has a lot of funny stories. Um, but if I had to tell Thad about stories, I think that, you know, you can tell a great story the more you are paying attention and listening in life. You know, the more you focus on the detail, I'm a big believer that God is in the details. If you're not on top of the details, you really don't know much. 
But if you really understand the details so you can explain something complicated in a very easy fashion, you know, you have a command of that knowledge or that story, which will allow you to explain it to somebody in a more enticing or enthusiastic way. What book are you reading right now? So it's interesting, you know, I, I get a lot of books as gifts and I don't read a ton, but I have this one book. It's my dad's book. I, when he passed away, I collected a lot of books from his office and I love the ones that are highlighted and have notes. And he has this book called, If You See the Buddha on the Road, Kill Him. And it's kind of like a psychotherapy book. As I said, my dad was a shrink. And it's a very, it's a difficult read. I can get maybe through one, two, three pages. And there's a lot, it's very heavy and there's a lot to it. But it's so reflective that uh, I like it because when I'm done reading it, it forces me to think throughout the day and go back to the page or two pages I read. It's too comp. It's it's not that it's complicated like science, but it's it's so in depth and full of meaning of self reflection and change that you don't want to race through it. It's like literally a page or two will do, and you can think about those pages throughout the day and kind of apply them, and I apply them in my life, and it's cool because I'm reading the highlights of my dad. I know what he thought was interesting in the book when he read it, and so those, of course, are what's interesting to me because he's was very powerful in my life, and so I can kind of relive his existence through the books that he read. And he was just like me. He underlined and he highlighted almost every third sentence. So literally, it's impossible to skim a book on his highlights because 50% of the book is highlighted. <laughs> it was all meaningful, probably because he was paying a lot of attention when he was reading. You know, that's part of the reason I don't highlight and underline books that I read, because I feel like I would highlight and underline every single sentence. Um, but finishing on a very meta note, about highlighting what your dad cared about the same way that you highlighted the story that you told. Thad Wong, co-founder of At Properties. For more information on Thad, on At Properties, and for a link to the book that he's reading, check out mosspod.org. Thank you for listening. Talk to you next time.